Cotney Construction Law is dedicated to helping the construction industry in legal, risk, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's Law & Mortar with John Kenny and Trent Cotney. Hey, this is Trent Cotney, CEO of Cotney Construction Law. I'm here with John Kenny, our CEO and also CEO of Cotney Consulting Group. And this is episode six of Law & Mortar. And we've got some great topics today, John. Uh, um, I want to jump right into it, and I want to talk a little bit about metal roofing. You know, we represent a lot of contractors that uh, do metal work, and uh, usually on the legal side of things, I'm called in because there's um, an aesthetic problem. You know, one of the common occurrences is this oil canning where, you know, after you've uh, roll formed the material, you go to install it, it's got that oil can type appearance. Yeah. And a lot of times you get um, angry customer or building owner or whoever it might be that's upset at, at how it looks. You know, rarely does it affect the actual performance, but it is a little unsightly. So in your experience, you know, out in the field, I know you did some metal work. What, um, what, what usually causes that and, and how have you kind of dealt with that in the past? Sure. Well, you know, there's, there's oil canning that's going to be a natural forming oil canning, which gives you a wavy look in the roof and then there's oil canning that happens from usually it's in the coil factory then when they run them on the jobs they're too tight so that's what we call severe oil canning that you really can't prevent you just have to make sure your machines are set right in the coil and everything isn't racked but the normal oil canning which is most common that most people end up aesthetically complaining about there's a couple easy ways to do that. One is the darker color of the roof, you can guarantee you're going to have oil canning show up even worse. Darker the color, worse the oil canning. So that's rule one. Rule two, what I'd like to do whenever possible is sell your customer either on pencil ribs or styrations. What that does, it puts a ripple effect into the metal panel. A lot of people look at it in the sample. I don't really like that, but I'm telling you, it is a fantastic looking roof when it's done. What happens is the pencil ribs which is usually one or two ribs in the split in the center of the panel, are styrations, which goes through the entire panel, which kind of gives it an up and down little uh, V, V crimp all the way across the panel. It aesthetically looks really nice when it's done and you have zero oil canning with that process. The other thing to look for is make sure your gauge is right. I know it's kind of crazy, but I know recently we had a client, Trent, remember we went out and they thought they were installing a 24 gauge roof. Every paperwork said 24 gauge. And lo and behold, it was shipped as 26 gauge. So mm -hmm. always double check. Yeah. And, you know, from the legal side on the contracts, what we like to do is put an old canning disclaimer on there. And obviously, if it affects the actual performance of the roof, that's another story. But when you're dealing with aesthetics, it's good to have that on there. Uh, what the old canning disclaimer, disclaimer does is it basically says in the event that there is this aesthetic type oil canning, that you'll take best efforts to try to prevent it, but you can't necessarily predict it. If it does happen that uh, the, the homeowner agrees or the customer agrees that they're not going to hold you liable for it, or if they want to correct it, that it's an extra charge. So having something like that in your contract can protect you. Again, like I say, with all contract provisions, you know, your customer service is the first line of defense. Uh, the contractor is the uh, contract is a trench that you fall back into in the event that you got a problem. So try to resolve things with customer service, but if not, then you've got that provision. John, next thing I want to turn to is um, something that has plagued the roofing industry for years. And uh, it's always been an issue, but recently we've started to see a big uptick in this and that's construction defects. And what I mean by that is this is, I'm not talking about during construction. I'm talking about after you have finished a job, you've walked off that job and then years later, 
you get the bad guy lawyer that comes knocking on your door saying, hey, I've hired this engineer, I've hired this consultant, and we found these defects in the way that you've constructed it. Sometimes, you know, you might not even have a leak, okay? It might be a perfectly sound roof, but they found, you know, some technical issues, some technical violations, and are trying to get a free roof or get some money out of it. So one of the things that we've tried to do from a legal standpoint is to make sure that we have what I call belt and suspenders inside the contract. You know, we try to approach it in a lot of different ways. How do we do that? We do that through notice provisions. Okay. There are a few things, nobody likes lawyers, right? But there, this is one of those things that uh, is as close to black and white as you can get from a lawyer. Okay. And what it is, it's a notice provision that says you, the owner, you, the customer, you've got three business days to give me notice of a potential problem. Okay, and then once you give me that notice, I'll do something about it. But if you don't, if you don't give that notice to me in writing, then you waive the ability to come after me for damages as a result of that claim. Okay, and we've won cases based on that kind of provision. So that's one thing I really like. Next thing I like is I like to limit damages in there. Okay, you know, I try to always limit the recourse to the warranty. Sometimes that's upheld, sometimes it's not. I like to limit what's known as consequential damages. Those are the damages like lost profits, lost rental value, those types of things. And then of course, I like to choose what the venue is going to be where you're gonna fight stuff. Now, this is a tricky issue. We'll talk about this in more detail in another law and mortar. But a lot of times, if you know you've got the potential for a construction defect claim, if you're doing condo work, for example, consider an arbitration provision, okay? An arbitration provision, We'll keep it out of court. Um, there are pros and cons to it, uh, but it's not the kind of venue that those contingency lawyers, the bad guy lawyers like to fight in, okay? Because it's very technical and a lot of times it's just not there the way they, wanna, they want to uh, play that game. So those are just a handful of things that we're kind of looking at. You know, we're working, John and I are working on some new contract provisions that combine uh, warranties with the potential to release um these latent defect claims that's a very tricky subject but stay tuned for that we're kind of interested in it and i think it's something that you know we're always looking for ways to kind of um eliminate some of these problems um john you know on job sites you know after you walk off a job um you know and you leave it in the customer's hands you know what are some best practices that i guess contractors can have to kind of fight off these defect claims that for some reason they come down the road year two three years later well a couple things um always make sure you do a qc inspection at the end of the project you usually have a, if it's a manufacturer's warranty you got that include them in your closeout documents that's basically you know great legal backup stating you did the roof correctly it's been accepted by the manufacturer if you have a building permit situation in the area you're in it's been closed out by the building department that's not going to ultimately be everything you need, but it's a good starting point. Um, today, especially with electronics, save your data. I know recently, Trent, we also had another one we were going back and forth on, where I think it was installed five years ago, maybe, and they came back and said it was defectively installed. It wasn't done according to specifications, codes, and all that. Well, remember, we found out that you know because of the documentation, Five years ago, it was exactly per manufacturer specifications and exactly per code, but the owner hired an expert that went and was comparing it to the new code just released and the new manufacturer's updated data sheets. Well, you can't be held for what's been changed new if, as long as you installed it correctly by what it was at the time. So those documents in your closeout package kept in your files, especially if you keep them electronically, you don't have to worry about them. They are your best defense against anything coming back after. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And that, that's almost a perfect segue to my next point, which is one of the things you mentioned is you can't hold people, um, you can't hold contractors liable for whatever the current code is. You got to look at what it was at the time of the installation. Well, as most people that know that are listening to this, John Kenny and I love the industry and we are both uh, roofing history nerds. Um, we love to collect stuff. We love to talk about it. And one of the things we have a lot of are old tech manuals, old spec books. And um, it's one of the things that I know John in particular loves looking at because it's interesting to see how people put things on in the 60s and 70s, even before that. You know, um, times have changed and you see different rules and requirements. And John, you know, I'm, I would say you, you probably focus on the letterheads, the billheads, the manuals. I'm more the advertising guy. So I get a kick out of seeing the old ashtrays and the pocket knives and the signs. And recently I picked up a couple of really nice looking bird product signs. You know, bird was everywhere. You can't, you can't help but look at some of the old advertisements and birds all over the place. So, you know, what happened to bird? What, it, you know, it, it's, it, I always find it interesting. You know, you see all this stuff, you see the, the flint coats and the, the Philip carries and the this and the that, and then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. What, what happened to, uh, to Bird, as far as you know? Well, Bird, uh, you know, Flinko, the different products you're talking about, Philip Carey. So you had a lot of uh, individual manufacturers that, that blew out of the 1800s in the early 1900s, and they did a lot of coal tar pitch roofs. Then the industry exploded with asphalt and the famous asbestos felts. So you had probably, I mean, upwards of 15 to 20 plus manufacturers of commercial roofing making the asbestos felts. Well, they started to have a consolidation in the industry in the 50s, going in more into the 60s, and then finally in the early 70s. So Bird, I believe, got transformed into Philip Carey Company from the knowledge that I can find on the transfer documents. Philip Carey, of course, ended up going into the Celotex Corporation. And then what happened was asbestos lawsuits hit. And that probably was responsible for consolidating the roofing industry more than anything else out there because they had it all went bankrupt. And Celotex, of course, ended up holding the bag for probably five or seven companies that they purchased. So that's what happened to them. Good companies went south with asbestos. And small world, my old law firm was the firm that was responsible for the Celotex bankruptcy. So, um, it's, it's real interesting, you know, you, you see, you know, the, the railroads, all the, the names from that are just all over the place and all of a sudden they're, they're gone, taken over and it's something new. So you wonder what it's going to be like, you know, 20 years from now, who will be the, the, the uh, new manufacturers, new suppliers uh, that are out there. So last thing I want to leave everybody is obviously we are proactive, you know, um, we both love the industry, both uh, try to make sure that we're doing everything we can to uh, fight for roofing contractors out there um, and any anybody in construction. So uh, one of the things that concerns me is um, potential COVID-19 liability and uh, the liability comes about, so let's say you're on a job site, right? And your crew unintentionally exposes a customer to COVID-19. Well, there's a lot of lawyers out there that are trying to capitalize on that, you know, and um, I, what I have done, what I've done with the team here is I've tried to put together some documents that will potentially waive that liability. Okay, it's a, a COVID-19 rider or addendum. And what I'm going to do is for anybody that's listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast and you want a free copy of this COVID-19 rider or addendum, if you email me or John, my email is tcotney at cotneycl.com. It's John is J. Kenny, J. K-E-N-N-E-Y at cottonycl.com. 
email either one of us, we'll send it to you no charge. Okay? And the reason we want to do that is we're trying to be proactive to prevent those kind of suits happening. Now, good news is we've been working with our lobbying team here. We've talked to other people in different states, and it looks like there's going to be some legislation. Each of the states are, are trying to promote it. It's going to limit some of the liability there. But I don't want to take, you know, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I would rather have this kind of documentation so that if you're out on these job sites, you've got something that's going to protect you. Okay, more on that. We can talk about more on that later. But just want to throw it out there. If you're listening to that, if you're a loyal listener, you know, uh, hit us up. We're glad to give that to you for free. So, John, as always, brother, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll, you, man. Yeah, we'll figure out something to talk about next time. So thank you guys. There you go.